Welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf, as always. And I'm your everyman, the guy who doesn't know anything about anime, Malcolm Cloud. Yeah, so uh, for those just joining in, each week I select an anime series for Malcolm to watch and three episodes that best showcase that series' strength. Although, and yet another twist, as, as there are so many twists, we're covering a movie today, uh, a really good one. Uh, but first off, last week's anime was Baki. Malcolm, how was it? Uh, you know what? I think upon reflecting, I feel like we that I enjoyed the discussion with Domenico more than I enjoyed the show. But I, but I enjoyed the show more from stuff I found out about it than what we watched, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. It, it's a wacky show. And I mean, it seemed like you were more interested in the prisoner arc that we didn't even really watch. Yeah, it is. It sounded more interesting. I mean, the fights are always, you know, can be fun to watch. But when you find out that, like, you know, the Baki's dad has uh, tr world tr like treaties with each president. Yeah, like I want to see that. That's I don't a thing. See a I, fight I that the dad's not even in. Well, it's coming. It's coming. I mean, in Baki season four, he's going to pretty quickly kidnap George W. Bush, just so George W. Bush can uh, send him to the toughest prison in the world, uh, which is in Arizona, where he fights a man named Biscuit Oliva. Uh, so you know what? You know, since Baki season four is technically a new series called Baki Hanma, uh, that's definitely going to give us an excuse. And uh, yes, uh, Yujiro Hanma, Baki's evil dad, uh, signs a treat, has signed treaties with every president since Reagan because uh, he is the strongest man in the world, and therefore uh, the United States has to re-up their treaty with him. Uh, it's it's a ridiculous series. We're we're it, this won't be the last time we cover Baki. Well, I'm interested to see what you pick next. Yeah, uh, but again, today's episode we're covering a classic, uh, and that is Akira. And uh, Malcolm, what do you know about Akira before watching this movie? So all I knew about Akira is that they've been trying to make a live action American version of this forever. Uh, and I knew about the motorcycles. I was like, I was kind of aware that there was motorcycles. I assumed that this was a biker film, first and foremost. Like I assumed that like, this was like a Fast and the Furious type, like meets Death Race type of film. Did not expect uh, what we actually saw. Did not expect what we actually saw, but uh, as we'll get into it, this movie is insanely influential. So even if you haven't seen this movie, you've definitely seen things reminiscent of this movie for sure. Uh, but before we get into all that, let's let's go into the history. And it's funny because anytime I'm, I'm, I'm like looking for history of a movie, I'm like, okay, this one's not going to be too long. This one's not going to be too long. And I'm proven wrong every time. Um, so first, the easy part, Akira was written and directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. Now, like many manga artists, he started his career very early with his first public published work coming out when he was 19. One of his most notable pre-Akira works was a manga called Fireball, which is set in a dystopian city featuring heroes who are freedom fighters, one of whom has psychic powers, and eventually goes on a destructive rampage when his brother is killed. Does that sound familiar at all to what we covered? Uh, a little bit, but also not really. <laughs> It's, it's definitely got the, uh, the psychic power stuff going on in Dystopian City. Uh, well, I assumed that uh, 
Kanada and Tatsuo were brothers. So, I mean, it is essentially the same relationship dynamic. It, it very much is. It, it's, it's certainly a brother-like relationship. And, of course, one of them goes nuts with psychic powers and blows a lot of shit up. And he also published a one-volume series called Domu that also features psychics with violent powers. So uh, this was kind of a thing he was basically workshopping until he eventually wrote the Akira manga. But he also had his animation debut when he did character work for uh, the 1983 film Harmageddon. And after completing his work on that, he began writing the manga which would define his career, Akira, which debuted in December of 1982. And within a few years, the manga would be adapted into a future film and not just any ordinary anime feature. Uh, Akira was the most expensive anime film of all time when it was produced, costing 1 billion yen. And uh, Otomo was pretty nonchalant about how the project came together, saying, I'd done some animation before and know some people in the industry, so I figured, why not try to make it into an animation? Uh, very nonchalant for a movie that was extraordinarily expensive. He's like, oh, I just knew some people. Uh, and Akira wasn't made by a single anime studio, if, if you notice when we watched the movie. It was created by the Akira Committee, and that was because no company had the financial resources nor manpower to create a project on the scale of Akira. Instead, this Akira Committee consisted of Kodansha, Manchi Broadcasting System, Bandai, Hakuhodo, Toho, Laserdisc Corporation, and Sumito Tomo Corporation, who all forwarded money and promotion towards the film. The animation for the film was provided by the anime producers, Tokyo Movie Shinsha, now known as TMS Entertainment. They've done a ton of stuff. They've done uh, Tiny Toons. Uh, they also worked on Batman the Animated Series. Their, their work goes beyond anime. Uh, and they teamed up to form what, like I just said, was called the Akira Committee. And so yeah, this project was pretty huge to say the least. In Japan, the film was a moderate success, becoming the sixth highest grossing movie in Japan that year and making almost 2 billion yen. In America, however, the film was a revelation, making $1 million, which by 1989 standards was pretty unheard of, especially for a foreign animated film lacking even a dub at the time. For American audiences, Akira was the first series to show that anime was not series, first movie to show that anime wasn't just for kids. And certainly for a teen, early 20s demographic, it's a far cry from any animation that was being distributed at the time, except for maybe like that movie Heavy Metal. But even then, like, you know, you would have outliers like Heavy Metal, Fritz the Cat, but definitely, it was certainly, not, nobody had ever seen anything like this film. And also just the quality in general, whether it was foreign or American. And when you factor in home video releases, Akira has made even more money. As of 2014, it's made $80 million. But meanwhile, Otomo has kept his workload pretty chill compared to his contemporaries. He's directed a few segments of anthology films, but he's only done one full animated feature since Akira, 2004 Steam Boy. In the meantime, he's picked up plenty of Lifetime Achievement Awards. He was decorated a Chevalier of the French Order de Arts. <laughs> I'm not going to pronounce the rest of that. And he was promoted to an Officer of the Order in 2014. He also became the fourth manga artist ever inducted into the American Eisner Award Hall of Fame in 2012 and was awarded the Purple Medal of Honor from the Japanese government in 2013. Otomo later received the Windsor McKay Award at the 41st Annie Awards in 2014 and the 2015 Grand Prix Deville, uh, French. I, I was prepared to read French, to read Japanese stuff, not French stuff. Uh, but he was the first manga artist to receive that award. Look up 2015 Grand Prix Otomo. I'm not pronouncing the rest of that. Uh, so yeah, that's that, that's that. Any any thoughts on what I just uh, covered, Malcolm? Uh, 
I guess I'm the most surprised by the fact that he's only really directed like a couple of things after Akira. Cause you kind of feel like you make this movie, it becomes so successful that you can like do anything you want. He's, and he, instead, he's very comfortable being the Akira guy. And instead, yeah, he's just like, I'm the Akira guy. Um, I made, I guess, a movie called Steam Boy. I've never heard of Steam Boy before. I it's really good. We, maybe we'll cover it in a million years. Maybe. Maybe. You know, um, it's up to you. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, it is a, it's weird because usually, like, I feel like when you, I guess it, maybe it's more of a North American thing, but like, usually, like, North American creatives are kind of going like once they make if they make something like this they kind of go like well now i gotta like keep this gravy train rolling i'm gonna like make millions by just pushing this stuff like i kind of see like you know almost a parallel to like i don't know like you think about like this came out in what 1988 or something yeah 1988 so so that's like you know it's not too far from you know just a little before say like the Quentin Tarantino age of like, he kind of comes out with just like a revelatory film. And instead now he's like this cinematic legend. Whereas um, for uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, he's just like, I'm the Akira guy. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting like thing, but I also like, this is such like a Magnus opus on some level that it must be hard trying to like, how do you really follow up something that becomes this beloved? It really is. And I mean, to be fair, while, you know, the, the Akira manga, it went on for quite a while. Yeah, it didn't wrap up until 1990. So he was still working on the manga while the movie was in production. And that's another thing. This movie is just a sketch compared to the manga. Um, I know in the live action adaptations, their, their idea is splitting into two movies. Um, I think you could cover the whole manga material in, in four full hours. Um, but yeah, like even what we've watched and we'll get into it, we'll definitely talk about the differences between the manga and the film because they are pretty vast. Again, like I wouldn't call it a Game of Thrones thing. In fact, I, I, I could compare it to another uh, classic anime film, uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, uh, which was done by Ghibli, where Ghibli basically just adapted the first two volumes of Nausicaa, despite it being six volumes. And the movie just ends at where volume two ends. <laughs> uh and it's kind of funny because i read the manga i read the manga recently i bought like you know the 80 dollar uh collection off amazon it was fantastic but then when i watched the movie i'm like oh they didn't even try to come up with a new ending they literally just end at volume two it's it's verbatim the first two volumes and it's just that as opposed to this where as we'll get into it there's a very definitive ending this has a definitive ending and also a very different ending from the uh from the manga it they cut a ton of stuff um, and we'll, yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, but I, I would, as I was talking to you before, I would really like to see an anime adaptation of the manga because there is just so much material. And again, it's just a more f fuller meal, basically. It's, uh, this is the Cliff Notes version of that story, basically. Yeah, like, I feel like now, like, in the world of streaming, like, especially when they are talking about, like, well, we could make this into a live action, you know, thing. I'm like, well, do you have to do that? Or like maybe like again with there's so much source material like with the uh, the you know the rise of event TV shows especially on streaming services For sure I feel like this seems like one of those properties especially after watching it that I'm like oh yeah you could you should you could easily just yeah do the the manga adaptation and it would have an audience and it would work out uh, but then again I don't like 
like that's I'm so new to this, the, like to the anime until especially to Akira because we just saw this. Yeah. That I like I don't have this like built up nostalgia. Like I saw it like three days ago. Three days ago for yeah. the first time. I, uh, yeah, I, as I, of the recording. As of the recording, yeah, not not. I mean, who, God knows when this airs. Um, but by the time this airs, uh, there will be a new Blu-ray, a new remaster of it, which is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had seen Akira for the first time around like two, when I was like maybe 14 years old, 14, 16. It was on like Teletoon playing at night. Um, I, I read the manga like about three or four years ago. Um, I'm going to use the, the Wikipedia Cliff Notes version when we cover it because sorry, guys, I, I just wasn't willing to, to read a thousand manga pages in the lead up to this. Um, so bear with me. Although, you know, I, I talked to Malcolm already like a couple days ago just about the changes and, you know, I've got a pretty solid memory of, of what they altered. Um, but yeah, let, let's really get into it because yeah, this, this is a big movie. Um, and yeah, that first shot, man, even that first shot, I think is utterly fantastic. Um, cause it's like a landscape, uh, view of, of Tokyo in, uh, 1988. It's like a quick little prologue and this landscape shot. Like when I was watching, I was like, Oh, is this still like part of like the uh, the distribution credits or whatever? Like, is this just going to be like a Toho distribution logo or something? It's like, no, this is the movie. Yeah, I was gonna say like, cause I mean, now uh, outside of the this anime, I guess anime that we're watching, so much of like animated films are all three D uh, or like yeah, kind of three D. So to have something that is two D but like make it feel so realistic. And you're kind of going like, oh, wow, like it's, it's pretty incredible. You, you see the money on the screen. You see the money. And, you know, again, we watch this in theaters. And, you know, if you told me this was like, again, some in, I mean, not independent because it was expensive. But, you know, what I mean, if like, oh, we just came, went to a new foreign film that came out this year. Like, there's definitely things that are indicators of it. Of course, there's obviously way less digital, digital effects, although there are a couple. I'll, I'll talk about those. Yeah, those are very obvious. When you you see them, you're like, oh, that's so that's what it like makes you remind you that like, oh, this came out in the '80s. Yeah, there's like some very '80s computer effects, but for 2D or like for I guess the yeah 2D is that how I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for like the style that it is. um, Yeah, it could have just been animated like last year. So yeah, even that shot where we're in Tokyo, 1988, and uh, then we just see. It's a word. It's a wordless scene. There's barely any sound, and you just see a massive uh, nuclear explosion go off. And yeah, that that's a that's Tokyo, 1988. A, a massive explosion takes it out. Uh, and yeah, that's already yeah a singularity destroyed Tokyo. And then we quickly jump ahead to 2019. Tokyo is being rebuilt, now known as Neo Tokyo. Again, a lot of this movie is this movie is like almost pre cyberpunk or effectively cyberpunk. Like this this stuff all kind of came out. Around the same I was going to say, I would, I would make the assumption that, like, probably this and Blade Runner yeah. are, are the, like, the pillars of cyberpunk. For sure. Because I feel like I noticed a lot of, like, what's, what made this ex- viewing experience really trippy is that you can see all the inspiration that other filmmakers took from this and put into their own works especially in the cyberpunk world because like this comes out in 88 and then obviously in the 90s you have a just this explosion of cyberpunk films from like hackers that johnny lee miller film to uh you know demolition man i mean where the taco movie. bill where 
was it talk was demolition man a cyberpunk film or am i losing my Uh, mind it's got some cyberpunk elements for sure maybe i just know that sylvester stallone was in it and that and wesley snipes and that taco bell won the fast food wars it's you know it takes place in uh 2035 taco bell still has time they they still got time um but yeah like the the akira manga came out in 82 the film came out in 88 so with 82 it actually predates um it it predates blade runner in fact does it predate um what's that one tron uh let's take a look see tron which is not a good movie i don't know why everyone keeps trying to trying to make a thing uh oh tron came out july 9th 1982 so it actually came out like a couple months before the akira manga but you'd have to assume the Akira manga was already in development. Oh, for point. sure. I'm, I mean, like I said, we've already talked about how this guy was basically workshopping ideas in multiple manga, essentially. Yeah, I mean, Fireball, as you just said, I, which is, which all I know of it is, is a drink. Um, yeah, we had we had Fireball. We went to a, we went to a bar uh, right after we saw the movie, and a guy gave us Fireball because he liked our conversations. Yeah, very nice bar. His name is Clint. <laughs> yeah. Good, uh, good indication. Um, but but yeah. yeah, so you go. Oh yeah, no. I'm just moving forward again. It's it's 2019 now. Like Tokyo's got tons of corruption, a lot of anti-government protests, terrorism, gang violence. You know, just a just good old fun. Uh, totally, very reminiscent of the dystopian genre. You know, and uh, we meet our hero, uh, Kaneda. And uh, what do you think of Kaneda? Kaneda's a fun protagonist, man. I really liked him. I mean, he's a guy who uh, who's trying to do the right thing. Like, he's not an asshole. He's not a misogynist. Really? Well, he's a, a smart. A, I mean, he likes he likes he likes attractive ladies. I mean, he, yeah, he he's an eight, yeah. He could have been a lot worse because for something made in the eighties, he could have been a thousand times worse. As sure. uh, as we experienced in the very first episode of this podcast, second episode. Sorry, oh, Jotaro Kujo. Jot- Yes. Uh, <laughs> I always have to call it back when I have a chance. It will be called back. Um, yeah, go on. And so I, you know, I liked him. I really thought like he was like the brother of Tutso. I mean, was it's, it? it's not blood Testu? relation, but it's it is a brother like relationship. So it's whatever. I, I've Tutso. You know. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's pretty. Uh, like, he, he just has that big brother vibe. And then he's also, like, you know, because it turns out he's an orphan with all these other bikers, you know, he, he, he does take on the older brother, almost fatherly figure for this biker gang. For sure. And, yeah, like, oh, this first sequence is just great. Uh, it's them versus the clown gang. Uh, what, I, what I was digging up details, there's actually a member of the clown gang uh, he's briefly in one of the shots. He's this African-American dude, this big African-American guy. He actually is like a major supporting character in the manga and like survives it too. Um, but not so much. Uh, he's Him and his cronies are just kind of taken out. But it's a fun sequence because you get to see that iconic motorcycle because, and I guess you're like, yeah, this is a movie I thought I was going to go see. It's about bikers. I mean, I thought this was going to, yeah, I thought it was like, oh, Fast and the Furious stole from this movie, like in terms of just like, I don't know, the feeling fast and being furious. But, you know, outside of the bikes, this this has nothing to do with bikes. Like, That's outside awesome. of them being... Um, because, yeah, they have this race. And then at the same time, there's, like, a protest happening. And at the same time as that protest, 
there's like some woman is it a woman or no it's a man yeah and he's like got this child this shriveled up child yeah the with esper, him. They know. the espers as they're referred to as aspers espers oh espers espers okay. people with psychic powers you have you haven't played enough video games the word esper is just normal to me yeah, I know. That's, that's again, you, this is where the everyman element comes in, where I'm yeah. like, what are you saying? Yeah, so again, like this old, this old you know, shriveled up child uh, with psychic powers. Um, and then, yeah, Tetsuo nearly crashes into him and he gets knocked down. Oh, and the, the person who was like trying to, you know, basically steal away the Esper, oh, he gets uh, shot to fucking pieces, which again, this movie is a quick reminder. Yes, this is not, this is not for children. <laughs> Lots of blood. Yeah, the deaths in this are like super gory, they're super graphic, and they don't hold back. No. Like they show it to you. I mean, there's, there's only one death in this that they don't really show, but they show you the aftermath of the death, yeah. which is that of the bartender. Yeah, and you don't see the other guy too. You don't see uh, Yamata. Yamagata? Yeah, Yamagata. Yeah, you don't see his death. You just see his buddy uh, mention it at the, in the next scene. Um, but yeah, that, <laughs> that's further ahead. But yeah, so Tetsuo, again, he, he gets knocked down and he basically gets taken in by these uh, not-so-good people. Uh, yeah, so like he basically, the, the bikes lead to the, him crashing into one of the, the test subjects. The, yeah. uh, how did you say it? Espers. The Espers. I'm going to forget that. <laughs> the espers he uh, bumps into this the esper uh the military like basically surrounds them his friends get arrested uh tetsuo is basically choppered away with the kid and mm. and uh yeah that's the next shot we have is that uh you know they're um the bikers like uh, kanada and stuff are like basically just uh, waiting to get booked. I, I love the interrogation scene. And, uh, the first shot you see of Kaneda in that scene is just him smiling and just trying to try, trying to pretend to be like a good son, basically. And it's just like, oh yeah, no, we were just, uh, uh, what was it? We were just trying to go to like a funeral or something. Our mom's sick or he's, he's making some bullshit excuse up. Yeah, I know. He's saying his mom's like on her deathbed on and they're deathbed. trying to get... And they're trying to get to her and that they, they were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's why they were speeding and like, you know, all that fun stuff. And and then they like insult the guy who's, uh, who's interviewing them being like, you understand that you're like a father or grandfather or something. And the guy's like, I'm 25 years old, which when he's drawn, he's not drawn like a 25 year old. Yeah, but you know, you know, this is what I've noticed about anime. It's like if the character, if the characters are supposed to be, if the main characters are younger, then every character has to look older. So it's like twenty. It's a twenty-five-year-old, but imagine like being fifteen and seeing a twenty-five-year-old. They look, they look a lot bigger than they do when. Now I'm an old man at twenty-nine. I'm just like, oh fuck, I'm older than this guy. I know. That's like. I think that's the thing. Is like I'm older than twenty-five, and I like saw that. I'm like, I was nowhere near of having a position power when I was 25. I don't know if that's like a, a, just a modern symptom of underemployment for our generation, or if this was just like, you know, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like if there's like an old, even older guy making this being like, yeah, a 25 year old would have this job. Uh, I think, because I mean, it is in a lot of ways a desk jockey it's job. It's a desk job. I think it's an entry. I think that person, we don't have a name for him, but it looks like an entry level job. He, he could definitely have gotten it, especially if, you know, he enlisted in, you know, the police force at like 18, you know, he's, He's probably, you know, a, a 
reasonable age at that for that job. Um, Probably. I mean, it's like kind of a military job. Yeah, police job. But it's, yeah, it's the desk version of it. So it's like someone who's not competent enough to do anything else, but it's like just competent enough to be like, do that. I almost feel like it's like having like a government job, but your government job is that you work at ICBC taking photos of people who get their driver's license for the first time. Uh, pretty much. And yeah, during that scene, uh, Kaneda, he notices a picture of a cute girl who uh, we'll, we'll get introduced to soon enough. And he's like, hey, can you, can you, uh, can you just free her too, basically? Um, and that's Kay. And yeah, she's an activist who's belonging to the resistant movement. And he tricks the authorities into releasing her. Um, the other thing too, uh, which is a f- interesting scene is, uh, again, it takes place within this, the, the person, he's like this activist and he's basically threatening to blow everyone up with a grenade. And uh, it doesn't go off, it's basically a dud. <laughs> Or at least we think it is until like five minutes later. Yeah, so they like get out of the uh, get out of this. Like they get K. She's gone. Or K is it Kai or K? It's uh, Kai. K. It's K. Yeah, I was right. I was. Um, yeah, they go. They get K out. They all leave the building. Um, and yeah, there's this like fake out where this guy has a uh, grenade and he's like, "I'm gonna kill everyone." It like doesn't explode. He gets tackled, and then once they leave the building, the building actually goes kaboom. Yeah, and you, you even see a guy pick up the grenade and he's just like, kind of like, hmm? And he just takes it back into his office and uh, that guy is dead. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's a fair uh, assumption to say that most characters in this movie are dead by the end of it. Yeah, uh, that's, that's very true. I feel like the people who die earlier on, like even that guy who gets killed by his incompetence with the grenade... I mean, it could be far worse given what happens later. Yeah, like that's almost like a merciful death. Like that's like a death that's like, oh, it's uh, that's a you know you get the mercy of that because there's some people, uh, some characters rather that have some pretty horrific deaths. Pretty, pretty horrific, and, and then yeah, moving on, we get uh, some stuff with Colonel Shikishima and his head, uh, the head of the research, the Doctor Onishi. Uh, Dr. Onishi sucks. He, he starts off as a character who I was like, oh, this guy's going to be kind of honorable. And it's like, no, no, this person just, all he cares about is his research. It, it's the whole Jurassic Park thing. It's like, you know, you, 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 all you thought of is like, if you could do this, not if you should. Yeah, no, this is like, yeah, this is a guy who's obsession. He's basically a Frankenstein, like yeah. a, a Dr. Frankenstein of just like, I'm going to do this. And like, he's pretty in cahoots with the government he's not a guy who's like hey we should like he has no moral objections to really anything outside of like i just want to make sure i do what i want to do and like the government needs to stay out of it yeah he he sucks he really does um but what do you think of colonel shikishima i i liked him a lot more when i was younger and i think now when i when i see his dialogue and and the choices he makes i'm like oh this guy's a fascist (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he is uh, a mo- you know he is an example of a fascist. I think yeah, I can see if I was younger being like, oh man, cool army guy. He's a cool army guy. That's cool. But I think in our like co- current political climate, uh, you know, he's very much like uh, for the country first. You know, almost for his power first. So he's like, I want to control these beings. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to control Tetsuo. I want to control you know, number 25, number 26, number 27. Like, it's all about control. Um, you know, he's, 
he'll go to extreme lengths to get it. And that's dangerous for anyone with any sort of power, especially military power. For sure. Um, but we're also introduced to the, the Japanese uh, parliament and they suck too. Uh, again, like Shikishima definitely looks better compared to everyone else in this movie. But like, I think if you're like to continue, you know, Akira, the after years, he's definitely not, he's definitely not a guy on a positive trajectory. No, I mean, he, you know, basically his path leads to the destruction that we see at the end. Like he's, you know, he kind of more or less enables it mm-hmm. um, with just with his actions. Because essentially, like, he just wants them to be, uh, you know, the ultimate fighters. Like, I think it's funny that like, we both watched the TV show The Boys. And it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that, like, the oh, military. Man. He would totally be played by Giancarlo Esposito. Shit. I, told, I talked to you about Jeffrey Wright. But, yeah, man, Esposito could totally play Colonel Shikishima. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously this guy, it, like, right now is, you know, he's that sort of, like, oh, I'm a big military guy. Like, Gerana's, like, you know, big buff guy. But I don't think... Like, I think that's such a weird way of, you know, drawing colonels because colonels aren't the ones in going to battle. They're the ones like, I'm going to stay back in the safety of the ship and then I'm going to, like, tell other people to do what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, they maybe at one point were a frontline guy, but even then, probably not because they'd probably go, like, through, you know, an intense military school and they're handpicked to, like, skip those steps. I, I do like how, how one of the people in parliament brings up welfare and, and like me, who's like a very, very left-leaning person. I'm just like, oh yeah, that guy's cool. Although of course he's drawn and voiced in a way that suggests he's very pathetic. But th- this film at least certainly doesn't have the, the best view of government officials in general. Every, everyone sucks. There's also a government official who is working with the Freedom Fighters, which in another movie, he would be a positive character. But as uh, we later learn, no, this guy is just totally in it for himself. It's a, it's yeah, a I, mean, I mean, there is that cynicism, but it also feels like that's almost a more realistic version. I mean, uh, not just to shit on all politicians, yeah. but I think the majority of politicians, you get, you get into it kind of, in, in my opinion, for two reasons. I think one is, uh, or three reasons. There's like, you know, a legitimate reason, which is I want to help the community and I've got to do it myself. But then there's like the two others, which is, I'm going to do it for the money because there's all that backroom money that no one likes to talk about publicly, but is very present in politics. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the other side of it, which is like a lot of times, you know, rich families will push one of their children to be like, you're going to be the politician of the family. Like you're going to do it. Uh, it's just like way back in the day, you know, uh, Renaissance times, you know, you'd have like rich families push one of the sons to be like, you're going to be a priest because the church was so powerful that like, if we could have a family member who's a priest, then, Hey, we can steal some of that church money for ourselves. And it's just like kind of a, in my opinion, this is all just my theory. It's my, like, it's kind of that, but to not to digress, that's just something. No, we're, we're, we're going to spend 30 minutes just talking about every single person in the parliament scene. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it's just like, you know, it's all filled with those kinds of people who like, they don't really care about the, because there's all these protests, right? We see all these yeah. scenes of protest and like they're blocking streets off and like, oh, you know, there's this, uh, you know, there's ironically enough, uh, the Olympics are supposed to be that, happening. That's the craziest coincidence that this movie predicted there would be a 2020 Olympics. And also, based on the events in this film, that those Olympics would not happen either. Yeah, that's what I didn't like. 
I didn't piece together until after where I was like, because I, again, I feel like when I watch these cyberpunk films, I just assume that they're like all way further in the future. But like, you know, the fact that this is made in the 80s and or like, and they're going like, yeah, 2020, that's pretty far away. Like, that's a realistic, like, when you're making it to be like, yeah, 2020 is just far enough that people will be like, we'll never get there. But now that we're here, it's sort of like, oh, wow. And yeah, the fact that there's, you know, right now the uh, Tokyo Olympics have been delayed because of uh, the coronavirus. But um, the fact that, you know, this is a year, even last year, where there's a lot of protests um for, for sure. other reasons but I've it's like protests in japan for for various reasons their their political stability hasn't exactly been that great either um it's been, it's yeah. been fun times for everyone uh but moving well forward, they're, they're oh yeah, yeah. well i was gonna say what's ironic is that this is a japan that's militarized in some capacity whereas obviously real life japan uh, uh is not militarized well, actually but actually, that's What's ironic is that the current some of the current protests into in Tokyo are about regaining military uh, militarization in Japan. Well, I mean, the leader until recently, the leader Shinzo Abe was was a person who was who was putting Japan into a he was getting rid of Japan's uh, pacifist treaty basically, and like the person who like uh, took over as PM is also still in that same way. So yeah, it's definitely they definitely predicted quite a few uh, shitty trends in Japan and the world. Uh, but moving forward, we get uh, Tetsuo escaping from the hospital. He steals Kaneda's motorcycle. And uh, we meet Kaori. And Kaori, just talking about her makes me feel like shit because my God, is there, there's, there's no character in this film who has a worse, worse hand dealt than Kaori. Yeah, this is where like the misogynism um, and the sexism of the 80s really sh- uh, sh- like has a light shone on it. Because Kaori is like, she doesn't really have an arc. She's sort of just like Tetsuo's kind of girlfriend. Like they, they don't even like. Tetsuo and Tetsuo is too much of like an incel to really like actually show affection for her. He's too insecure to really like be like, oh, maybe I should just be happy that this other girl likes me. Yeah, there's that like definite incel vibe there. Also, we should make mention that like t- before Tetsuo's in- like, uh, injury and in his subsequent uh, manifestation of his powers, um he's kind of obsessed with Kanata's motorcycle for sure yeah which is like kind of plays a, a role in everything um in a surprising way because he's just like the very one of the first like shots after the big like realistic shot with the boom is that it's like Tetsuo on Kanata's bike basically admiring it yeah I mean again like Kanata is Jeff is you know he's the head of the biker gang he's the coolest kid in their little school of their group of people and yeah, there is this kind of this uh, little brother relationship, which uh, which manifests itself in uh, some not so positive aspects. Um, but yeah, Kari, she makes she makes the mistake of um, getting getting on that motorcycle with uh, Tetsuo, and they're taken down by some of the clowns. Uh, Kari just gets winged by them, like they just straight up knock her down. Yeah, um, I was gonna say I don't even think she makes the mistake of. Uh, getting on the motorcycle i feel like she just makes the mistake of existing in this world because like it's just she's just totally like just really abused is in a way that's like it's really upsetting like i just it was honestly the most uncomfortable part was 
they basically like yeah she gets knocked off the motorcycle they knock off tetsuo they basically pinned tetsuo to the ground and like they just like essentially are about to rape yeah they they sexually assault her they 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 remove her clothes it's yeah it's fucked up uh it's a super gross scene and again it's there's definitely there's definitely some really terrible anime shows where the, those scenes happen and they linger on in uh, really gross ways, but this scene definitely showcases the brutality of it. It's not like, you know, what I mean? yeah, like this was. There's no glorification of like the nudity. Yeah. It's very much like I kind of in some ways. I mean, I don't I don't like this as a trope because this yeah. is a trope that is used. Is that uh, you know the is that oh it like fuels. Tetsuo is to like how his anger and like you know makes him more rageful and like you know kind of helps him lead him down his like villainous path because like he is helpful uh helpless in that moment which is like later on the film he's obviously the least helpless character in fact Mm -hmm. everyone tries to stop him um so there's that shift but it's like it's almost so unnecessary and again very 80s they did this like you wouldn't like Unfortunately, you'd probably still see a very similar scene I mean, now. Look at, look at Game of Thrones, man. Game of I, Game of Thrones was way worse about uh, lingering on the sexual violence and stuff than this movie, I would say. But I, and I'd say there's like also a character aspect. I, you know, when Te, when Tetsuo is getting knocked down, I don't think he even cares really so much about Carrie because he does inflict a beating on the the clowns after Kaneda steps in, which again also fuels Tetsuo's just complete insecurity. The fact that Kaneda had to save his ass. Um, but I almost, again, Tetsu, I don't even think he cares about what happened to Kari. I think he just is like pissed off that, you know, they kicked him off his, the motorcycle he wanted. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing on uh, the other side of it is that, you know, I gave a little too much, probably too much credit to the, um, to the motivation of the scene or whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever yeah. actor speak it is, but yeah, I mean, the big ultimate payoff of the scene is that, uh, yeah, Kanata saves the day yet again. And that just pisses off Tetsuo even more mm-hmm. and then uh we get we get some pretty trippy ass visuals because he starts suffering these intense headaches and visions um you just see like a lot of quick images that you know if you hadn't seen the film you wouldn't know what to piece together but ha- since i had like those are like flashes in both the past and the future of the movie basically um you briefly see the fu- the form that tetsuo takes at the very end of the film um and then you know you see this like uh He's envisioning like the ground crumbling beneath him and him just like falling into it. And then like him, like his like guts coming out of his stomach, uh, all super graphic. It's, it's wonderfully animated, but it's very uncomfortable and, and nightmarish. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's funny because uh, I've seen similar sequences in like TV shows and films that do this. But now I'm like questioning if this was sort of like the trendsetter for having like kind of this like a, using a, like a severe um, hallucination, yeah, to foreshadow events in the film. Because yeah, I, I didn't click uh, piece that together because obviously I've only seen this once, um, so I have no like background on the film. Yeah, and then uh, we get to another hospital scene, uh, and Tetsuo it gets a, uh, it's not as easy for him as the previous hospital scene. We get another. It seems like hallucination where he's like seeing these like uh, children's toys like um, w- walk around in his hospital and God the music is fucking freaky as hell I've got it stuck in my head um, 
it's oh man dude this movie has so much nightmare fuel it really does oh you said you were going to continue sorry oh yeah no no uh just the nightmare fuel man i mean what do you think of that uh again you think it's a hallucination and you know he kind of grabs these toys that he thinks are just like another vision he's having and then uh instead nope even uh bigger versions of these toys uh burst out through the walls it's very clear this is not a delusion uh and they're also like seeping milk out of themselves it's it's a horrifying visual yeah i mean i first of all i just was gonna say that like uh this film has a really well done score and i think the The sound design is really unbelievable like because you don't really think about sound design at all and like i don't think about sound design especially in an animated film uh it's just something that like i guess you're more sucked into the visuals more than just like you know a live action um production so like it is something like like when this like sequence happens because he's like they're just i can't even like describe like the bear the bear itself is like yeah it kind of reminds me of like being a really young kid when i was like four or five and yeah almost if uh my uh, grandparents house they'd set um there was like a chair in the bedroom like where i would sleep with uh and on the chair, my grandmother would leave this teddy bear that almost looked similar to the Kira bear. And it would just like be there. But it's like this older bear, like it was my dad's teddy bear. So this is like a bear from like the 50s that it like, as a kid, I would see. And it was, you know, very ratty. It had like, you know, the, um, uh, was it the button eyes and like, just kind of like an, a weird fabric shirt. And yeah, it just like, oh yeah, this, it had that similar feel. Um, and yeah, the milk is, uh, oh. It's just gross as hell. Gross as hell. Yeah, and uh, it turns out these these uh, these gigantic uh, toys are, are being controlled by the espers. The espers are kind of trying to stop Tetsuo. Uh, it just makes things worse. Anytime anyone tries to stop Tetsuo for, from doing something, it just makes things worse. Uh, he overpowers them. And then, um, man, the... the uh, the scene in the hospital where Tetsuo confronts the armed guards, man, that scene has been ripped off a ton, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, basically every action film. Um, Anything with like science fiction and psychic powers, that that type or devil possession or whatever. I mean, um, yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's exactly it. Any if you have powers and you are in uh, in a movie that they the powers will be used to kill someone that sequence exists. I mean, that sequence even, uh, sequence even exists in, like, The Invisible Man. Uh, it does, yeah. Is, it, like, exists in, like, The Boys. It exists in, like, I think The Matrix. Like, it just kind of this, like, thing exists everywhere. Um, Josh Trank ripped this movie off twice. He ripped, he ripped this movie off in Chronicle, which uh, is, like, Chronicle to me, I'm like, cool, I've seen my live-action Akira. That's as good as a live-action Akira as you're going to get. Yeah, first of all, fuck Max Landis. Yeah, he, sucks. Uh, he sucks. Um he hasn't ever written anything original. And uh I guess that's true. Second, Max Landis also ripped this movie off while claiming to be an original filmmaker when he probably just, you know, snorted a bunch of Adderall and uh watched Akira a couple times. Yeah, and he was like, What if this was a uh let's make it as white as we can and uh let's we'll do a found footage. Uh, and, and this will place 29th on the blacklist of uh, the screenplay. Hey, I, like, I, I like Chronicle, man. I like Chronicle. I genuinely think it's a it's a 
if that was the Akira adaptation we got, I'd be like, yeah, it's not bad. Um, I, th- I think what makes it is that I also like Chronicle, and then I've seen this, and I was like, holy shit, they just like ripped the bones out of Akira and made that film. And like, like, let's say that, like, the one thing with Chronicle that's really good is obviously it's like one of the spots that Michael B. Jordan's in it. He's, yeah. uh, he was pretty good, although he gets killed too early. Yeah. Uh, Dane DeHaan, that's a star like making performance for Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan is playing just Tetsuo in that movie. Yeah, he's essentially Tetsuo. Um, you know, there isn't um, a K character. There's no, like, no, no, there's no, not even no, a general. Aren't good. And you know, female characters in Chronicle. Yeah, um, and so like, and it's, it just it's a weird. I think it's weird because you brought this up when, like when we saw this, and then I was like, oh wait, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. Like I just, I didn't know. And there's so many people who've probably seen Chronicle, have never seen Akira like myself. We're like, ah, Chronicle was pretty good, and then now it's now that I've seen, it, I'm like, oh, it just makes Chronicle so much worse. Just like, just how blatant it is. Well, he also, the, the, the hospital shot where the guards are getting fucked up by Tetsuo, that's in the Fantastic Four movie that Josh Trank did as well, where Doctor, I haven't seen the movie in its entirety, I've seen clips, and there's a scene where, again, Doctor Doom has just awoken, and because Josh Trank and all, all the people involved didn't want to actually make a Fantastic Four movie, they were, uh, that movie, that movie's disappointing. Um, but the scene where, yeah, um, Doctor Doom is just blowing people's heads up, yep, that's, it's just again straight up from Akira, uh, and Akira does it a lot better. Again, like the vi- again, this movie is, this movie is a feast for the fucking eyes, and it, it's again for someone who is not if you're if you're definitely someone who has not seen animation with like blood and guts because like body parts and shit are just like everywhere in this movie. Yeah, because this like is also I would say like this film is part body horror. Like it almost oh, has like David yeah. Cronenberg um, inspiration yeah. within sure, it. Man. Um, but yeah, moving on from that scene, I mean, we, we could dissect that one scene in the hospital just forever. Um, but yeah, Kay and Kaneda, they, they meet up. Uh, Ryu, Ryu is a character we haven't talked too much about, but I, I think it's worth it because he's definitely the red herring. He, he's the leader of the resistance. He's, he's a good looking guy. Uh, I think the one problem is he also has a mustache like uh shikishima which makes it very easy to confuse him with shikishima yeah i mean he's there they almost feel like they could have been brothers like if this was like a, a man like a mini series or something you could be like you know you could have throw in a line here or there being like yeah my brother's the colonel and be like oh okay that it just adds an extra dynamic just because of like again the character models are pretty similar yeah and and ryu because i hadn't seen this movie in like 10 years i'm like oh yeah ryu's gonna play a big role but he's honestly just a dope i mean he sides with nezu who's the uh who's who's the parliament member who is also working with the resistance but really you know doesn't give a fuck um ryu is the guy who if you're casting the movie you cast like a big star you know you're like oh yeah he's the guy um because it turns out he isn't because he goes down like goes down like a ponce in this movie yeah like this would be like a good fake out like for people who've not who will have not have seen it it'd be like oh man there so-and-so's in it and then they're like he, they show up and then within like 10 minutes they're dead yeah and there's this useless and they barely accomplish what I, to be fair ryu does quite a bit more in the manga although um in typical fashion in typical akira's uh, cynicism his final act is uh not a positive one 
Um, but yeah, what does he do? Well, in the move in the manga, Akira, you know, I'm going to bring this up in a bit. Let's just move move a bit forward so we're more on the same level with the plot of the movie. All right. Almost, we're almost there. Uh, but yeah, Kane Kaneda, they escape. Uh, the escape sequence is pretty awesome for sure. Yet again, just just more great action. This movie's got fantastic action. Uh, and Kay, as we learn, is also a spirit medium uh, because she gets possessed by one of the uh, one of the espers, the female one. Yeah, number twenty six. You remember the number? Good for you, because I didn't. I was well. I'll be honest. Character. I'm on the Wikipedia page <laughs> looking at the characters, oh, so I like yeah. have a memory of what of they are. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then uh, we also get we also get a pretty badass scene. Again, this is why like if you're a teenager, you're gonna think Shikishima is awesome because he stages a coup d'état against the government, and he's just like you know this this uh, one government guy. He's got a gun pointed to Shikishima and his men. Shikishima is just like tells one of his guys, he's like, you shoot him right now. And it is badass as hell. Yeah, I mean, because you it's uh it's a kind of a an unexpected scene because you usually don't expect the army guys to like turn against the politicians. But in this case, he understands that Shikishima does that like these uh espers, got it, yeah. um are too powerful. Yeah, and to be fair, the government wasn't going to handle them well either. The government's just trying to cash out, basically. Uh, and it's not going to work out. And then meanwhile, you know, Tetsuo, he goes, to, he goes to the former gang bar and he tries to get drugs. I thought the bartender was going to be a speedwagon candidate, but then the bartender dies. <laughs> I like the bartender. I liked him a lot. Uh, yeah, see, he his was the death I was uh, talking about earlier, where it's like it's the one of the deaths that you don't see it really happen, but you see the aftermath. Yeah, and like I said, yeah, earlier it's that he, you know, because he kind of at the very beginning of the movie when the biker gang that Kanata leads that Tetsuo's in are like their hangout spot is this bar. Yeah, which is weird because again they're supposed to be like fifteen years old. Because there's also and we did talk about this sequence. I don't know if maybe the sequence happens now-ish or it was before. They show like the school and like that they go to the worst. Oh yeah, they go to like the worst school. It's like oh, yeah. where like the last. This is the last you know stand. If you fail out of this school, you're you know you're basically done. Yeah, it's a And like, there's that scene where like uh, they all get slapped. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was like a very odd scene where they just like go to the principal's office and then like the principal's assistant just slaps each of them in the face. Uh, I mean, if we're already on this scene again, so sorry people for being confused. I'm ho- hopefully you watch the movie and you you understand what we're talking about. I also like the random girls that are just like part of their entourage. I I like those character designs a lot. I like how you know they're this one girl who's like probably like uh, Canada's on on again. I mean, maybe not even a girlfriend, but you know, definitely a girl who he's probably you know who he's slept with or hooked up with a couple times. The, the character designs, even for the most minor characters, are really fun in this movie. Yeah, like, that's the one thing. It's, like, I mean, everyone, it's very well designed. Like, everyone, you kind of, just from the, looking at them, you can kind of see how they fit into the world. I mean, the only thing that really stands out as, like, oh, almost off-putting are obviously the clown gang. We are like, oh, this they could have just done, like, a more, like, I guess a more modern version would be, like, we wouldn't have a clown gang. We'd have, like, I don't know, a more colorful gang or whatnot. I like the clown gang. I like them. But, I mean, it's like but the, the clown, 
but the clown gang kind of works. I mean, you know, like you think about, I think about like the movie, The Warriors, oh, and like okay. how there's all the different gangs there, and there's like the baseball gang, yeah. and I, there might, I forget, there might be like an off clown gang, because there were some very wild gangs. The baseball um, theories are pretty clown-like. I mean, they don't even speak. I yeah, love that's the movie. <laughs> that's true. Um, I gotta rewatch that film, but uh, uh, the anime, maybe the yeah. adaptation of the Warriors. Um, but yeah, again, like, and also like uh, Tetsuo and Kaneda, they do have a confrontation in that like facility. Oh, uh, they have the what? Well, yeah, they have the conversation. Uh, oh yeah, because like basically, um, Kay and uh, Kanada now at this point now we're jumping forward again. Yeah, um, are sort of like hanging out, but then. Uh, because uh, Kay works for the resistance, the resistance basically knocks out. Do they knock him out, or do they? He saves her. Oh yeah, well they they toss they toss Kaneda into like a uh, they lock him in a like storage room basically, but he gets yeah. Out. They just don't trust him. They're like, is he a spy? Like, and she's got, she's like, no, he's not a spy. He he saved me, but at the same time, they just don't trust him at all because it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, if there's gonna be a spy, obviously a spy if they're trying to, you know, ingratiate themselves into the resistance would be like, hey, I saved one of your members. Like, you got to love me now. Yeah, and, th- and that, of course, leads into Kay, Kay and Kanata's uh, confrontation with Tetsuo. Tetsuo escapes. Uh, he, he jumps out of a massive building and basically flies, uh, which leads into the scene uh, at the bar where, again, yeah, he, he's asking the bartender for some drugs, and the bartender makes a very bad mistake in asking him to pay. <laughs> um and so he gets an off-screen death and then yeah we we then get to uh Yamagata and Kai arriving and it's funny because I I thought Yamagata his death I felt like oh he must be a more major character in the manga but Yamagata actually dies in the first volume so first volume of six so he actually lasts longer in this movie than the manga oh um but yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because I, I did do a rewatch. Yamagata, he's kind of the taller one. He looks like he's about maybe 17 if um, Kaneda is 16. Kai's a fun character. I like Kai. Uh, he manages to survive uh, Tetsuo, Tetsuo killing Yamagata, but he's, he's pretty fucking bummed by it. And then, yeah, that, that brings us to um, Kaneda, Kai, and Kay meeting up. A lot of Ks in this movie. A lot of Ks. Yeah, I mean, that's not surprising, um, <laughs> almost. Uh, what what do you think of the, the little aside where um, Kaneda takes uh, Yamagata's bike and, and gives it a little Viking funeral? I thought that was a cute detail. Yeah, I mean, that one was, uh, it's like a fun little moment. It almost like kind of comes out of nowhere, but mm-hmm. I also like that it's like, <laughs> it's his way of paying respects. They're just like, here it is. Um, we're giving you the, you know, we're just giving you the salute. Yeah. That you were um, part of this gang. Because, uh, yeah, he just crashes it into the wall. I thought he was going to break the wall with the bike. And it's like, no, he's just, uh, he's sending his bike to hell with his buddy. Um, and then, yeah, Kay, she gets taken in by the Espers, which which is, you know, just another big deal for Kaneda. Uh, and then we get Tetsuo's rampage through Neo Tokyo, where he... Um, yeah. I just want to say before we go into the rampage that I, for when I like initially watched the scene where she gets taken in by the espers, I was like, oh, um, oh, that what she's walking on is like concrete, like because she's just like walking because they're walking, like they're in like a canal, and um, and then like um, 
Kanata goes to follow uh, with, I think it's a Yama, Yamagata. Uh, no, uh, Yamagata dead, RIP. Kai's, Kai's the ne one. Is it Nezu? Who's, what about Nezu? I thought there was a second person there. There's three of them there. It's, yeah, it's Kai, Kaneda, and Kay. Oh, Kaneda, Kai, Kaneda, and Kay. No, it's, a, it's an easy, uh, easy, uh, it works. <laughs> I, did, I just didn't yeah. even put it together until but, you said yeah. that. Uh, but that's a cool detail. Yeah, she's, it looks like, you know, she's walking on a solid surface, which turns out to be water because, yeah, uh, Kaneda tries to follow her. And again, he just immediately falls into the water. Uh, and then, yeah, she's taken in by the Esper. Yeah. And then we, yeah, we get to this rampage and we see one of the more, again, most destructive scenes in the, in the movie in terms of just sheer volume of death and the brutality of the death, which is there's a, they, we cut to, there's the army is going against, has blocked off this bridge and there's protesters and they're trying to regain this bridge. Yeah. Um, you know, the army's like, stay back, stay back. And in some ways, they're right, because obviously Tetsuo is on the loose. He's very dangerous. He's grown more and more agitated as uh, the film has gone on. And now he's, like, starting to really embrace the powers, but also embrace this evil side that I clearly, he guess he must have always had. And the people see him as the second coming of Akira, um, which Tetsuo, um, he doesn't give a shit about these people. Tetsuo doesn't give a shit about anyone at all, really. I think he gets, yeah. the only person who he shows any remote care for is really Kaneda. He seems to like still have that friendship with Kaneda intact, even if it is uh, more edgy and, and not nice. Uh, and I just want to go back slight, slightly before that, when we get the, uh, the introduction to like the, the most iconic uh, costume in probably the film, which is uh, when Tetsuo, he, he just breaks into a clothing shop and takes like a cape and yeah, just like, he turns himself into a superhero, basically, or his idea of one. Because again, this kid is 15 years old and has like, his frame of reference and just how he sees himself is very immature. He is, I mean, he, I mean, because they are kids at the end of the they day. They are kids, and that's the whole thing. It's like, what, what, what if an angry, you know, frustrated kid had all this power? It would be terrible. Yeah, I mean, that is like the one side of like, I mean, we're all pretty, you know, like, I think our, the culture we're in right now is pretty superhero obsessed. Like, there is this element of, like, someone's going to go and they'll save us all. Like, you know, we're waiting on that Iron Man or we're waiting yeah. on that Doctor Strange or, or Spider-Man or whatnot. But it's, like, it would be, like, very scary in theory. Like, in theory, like, Peter Parker should be a scary person. <laughs> like, it should be scared that, like, hey, we have a hormonal 15-year-old and he has powers, and we can't really control him. And you just got to hope he's good. Because if he's not good, you know, it just becomes a mess, like we see in Akira. Like this idea yeah. Of like, I mean, it's, it's always that idea of, like, absolute power corrupts absolutely everyone. Yeah. And the, um, the, the tanks, they're given the orders to fuck him up. And uh, one of the tank drivers is like, no, it's just a kid. And, yeah, I, I do like how they give minor characters, even characters with no names, just some characterization. This one soldier is, is uncomfortable with his orders, but uh, it doesn't matter because when he fires on Tetsuo, it doesn't even hit him because he's able to blow up the, uh, the shell before it even gets close to him. And then uh, he fucks that tank up good. Yeah, I mean, he like basically just blows up the tank. He just like reverses it. The tank's basically blown up. And 
people use that opportunity to storm the bridge because as you said earlier they think he's the second coming of akira which by the way i didn't realize akira was a person um i assumed akira was uh, the name of the biker gang when we oh. <laughs> when we started i was like oh akira that's like the name of this biker gang or like i don't know like you know how uh there's nos in like the fast and the furious it's like what powers all their cars. So it's like, oh, this will be a, a movie about them acquiring Akira, the, uh, the, the fuel of these bikes. I don't know. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. Again, was not expecting this. And yeah, basically all the bridges are like how he basically collapses all these bridges and he kills uh, a lot of people. Kills Both a lot of people. Mili to military and civilians. Um, and yeah, that, that brings us to, again, one of the more horrifying reveals, if if not visually, it's uh, when he does get the remains of Akira. And, you know, we, we've been told Akira is this big deal. And uh, he gets the remains and he opens it up. And uh, as the colonel gloats at him, it's like, oh, yeah, like Akira, he, he's just like bits and pieces. He's just remains at this point. Like everyone. Yeah, the, that was shocking. Like basically Akira is a... Uh, um... Body works is that what it is? Kira um, was a child with great psychic powers, which which took out Tokyo. But now, thirty years later, oh yeah, they've already just you know done all these medical experiments, and yeah, he's just like neural neural implants and stuff. That's all. They yeah, need. he he's essentially a body worlds uh, <clears throat> exhibit. Like it's just like it's just like yeah, neurological parts. Like and it's like. It makes you think about the horrors of like, what did they do to get this person down to this? Yeah. Like what type of torture was inflicted? And because again, I don't know the backstory. I haven't read the manga. So I don't have like an idea of who Akira really was. He's more of a symbol in the film. Yeah, um, I think it's a great reveal. I think, I think it works for the movie. And I think, again, it's something that is disturbing. Yeah, that like, and in some ways, because if he's so powerful, he's had to have allowed it to be like this, where it's like he must have allowed them to be like, all right, I'll let you go, take me down to the, you know, the neurological core. Yeah, so so this is this is where we'll get into the differences uh, of the manga for sure, because the biggest thing is that Akira in the manga actually is a person. He he still appears as a child, even though it's like even though he should be like you know thirty five or something. Uh, he's basically mute. On, on the spectrum effectively, but you know, if, if you were a psychic, uber-powered child god, you would probably, you know, not not be super capable of emotions. And yeah, he, but he still is like a symbol. Like Tetsuo basically uh, consults him and stuff. Uh, I'm just, I'm just looking through the Wikipedia summary to get the big details. We can always cut out the-, the Yeah, no space. worries. No, that's kind of just it, really. He's he he's he's again a symbol. He's not so much a character until the very end of the manga, where he does like make some actual choices. Um, but yeah, it's it's a far cry, and because the, the entire second half of the Akira manga is basically what rule under Tetsuo and Akira is like, which again is something that would be incredibly fascinating to watch in like a series. But of course, in the movie, the movie's just speeding ahead to its conclusion at this point. Like this is just straight up third act stuff. 
Yeah, like they really only have because this is like a two-hour film, so they have yeah, they only have the two hours. And it still feels like it's speeding. There's not really any slowness in the movie. Yeah, there's no like they don't really let you catch your breath at any point. There's like I will say it's a very well-paced film. Like it's like there is no like okay now they're just gonna let you you know reminisce about what you just saw. It's like no to the next thing to the next thing. Yeah. It's like we find out about Akira and it's like essentially after that, you know, that Kanata Kanata has his confrontation. Is, and that confrontation's awesome. Has his, where are they? They're they're in like a junkyard almost. They're in like a junkyard and then yeah, um Oh no, they're in the stadium. Oh not not yet, not quite yet. They're in like the junkyard with the whole Akira stuff. Because yeah, that results in a fight with uh K and Tetsuo. Um and then yeah, Kaneda tries to fight Tetsuo in a duel. He's got this laser rifle. <laughs> Uh, it's a really cool laser rifle, but sadly it runs out of batteries. Uh, right? You think that he's like been impaled. You think that uh, Kaneda impales uh, Tetsuo with one of his shots, but it turns like it turns out that the laser just grazed his shirt and just made a little hole in it. Uh, oh man, yeah. Battery-powered weapons suck. Uh, but don't worry because there's a way bigger weapon, which is also very influential, which is the uh, SOL, which. Uh, Anyone who's played the video game Gears of War, have, have you played Gears of War, Malcolm? I did play the original Gears of War way back. You know, in the the day. Hammer of Dawn weapon. Oh yeah. So that thing just straight up is ripped off from the orbital cannons in this movie. Yeah, because this yeah, it's basically like I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, anything that has an orbital cannon like this, like there's uh in GTA five, like online, you can literally just buy an orbital cannon and shoot people random people. Um like when you're playing online yeah. and uh yeah essentially this is what it was except they just have it and they're aiming it at uh, tetsuo yeah uh again it's it's a great shot um sadly the orbital candidate only gets tetsuo's arm which again he just makes a new arm with his psychic powers he makes a metal arm which is a very gross metal arm um and then tetsuo he ends up just jumping up all the way into space and destro- destroys the orbital cannon but then I guess because of the destruction of that one, it's also fucked up all the other satellites in the world because now throughout the movie, you just see massive blasts going off randomly. Yeah, I mean, I assume that once he got to space, he just used his psychic powers to like interfere with the computers that are like uh, in the satellites and then just, yeah, made them all go berserk. Yeah, and you just see all these blasts going off. At, at one point, Canada uh, is about to drop a very large rock onto Tetsuo's uh, head. And it's like a kind of funny scene, even though it would be in theory very gross if, if he were to succeed, just dropping a massive rock on his friend's head. Uh, yeah, although like uh, you just like, it's almost like it, there's a bit of like, when I saw that it was like almost a pathetic of like, oh, this is like Kanata's last resort right now. Like in this moment, he's like, this is all we have, like all I have left is like, oh, maybe I'll hit him with this rock. Cause like in theory, the powers will just mean that like, and I mean, it's not in theory, just it powers just mean like, oh, I'll just, the rock's nothing to me. I'll just like throw the rock away. Yeah, I mean, the, the animations that uh, Kaneda has, again, he's such a likable character and a lot of that has to do with just how well they animate him. Uh, just the emotion and just like the funny faces he makes uh, throughout the film. Uh, again, yeah. it's very natural. Um, but yeah, uh, Kaneda, he doesn't succeed. Uh, and then it cuts to, uh, pretty much the, fi- the final sequence of the film, which is the stadium. Um, Tetsuo, Tetsuo has basically made a throne in the Tokyo Olympic Stadium. He's in terrible pain. He just wants drugs. 
and uh, Kauri makes the bad judgment uh, of coming. To oh yeah, like yeah, Kauri comes back at this point, yeah. and also like to uh, help with the fact that he's missing an arm. There's another like body horror element where like he basically gets some like materials around him and makes like a, this makeshift arm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and let let's get into Kauri because her fate in the um, in the manga is quite a bit different. Uh, but also, sadly, it's the way she dies, because she dies in both versions, because again, Kaori only exists to be sad. In the manga, she's a sex slave, and that's how she's introduced. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, darker, darker background, but not as gross death. Uh, she, she simply gets shot uh, by a captain, uh, and Tetsuo tries to resurrect her, but fails, um, as opposed to her death in this one, which again, so it, now we're at the stadium. All the characters are kind of confronting each other. Uh, the colonel is confronting Tetsuo. Basically, is trying to kill him and is kind of gloating at the fact that he can't control his powers uh, because he starts kind of intermittently morphing into a fetus creature. Yeah, like it's almost like the he's evolving so quickly that yeah, like as you said, he's just he's just losing all the powers. And then at this point, it's also there is this pain because I guess it's revealed that like these other children, they're all like visually like look very shriveled. They look very old. They're very pruny. They almost look like um, what I would expect if like you were like to see a realistic mold man from the Simpsons. Out of Simpsons reference. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what psychic powers do to you. And also, you know, I mean, at least Tetsuo got to live a life for a bit. They just got experimented on until, you know, all this and also like there's like multiple ones that we haven't seen of them like there's again they have various numbers and they're all pretty high up which can only tell you just how how bad the fates of the other uh subjects were yeah because these are number 25 26 27 i assume tetsu is number 28 in theory Something like that he's around there uh, he's that or like maybe 30 but yeah the fact that you're already like you're talking about 27 that's like you know you're yeah you're talking about at least 24 others not including Akira, who, you know, lived and died with these powers. Because I assume they would are dead. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we all our characters were kind of converging. And yeah, Tetsuo's morphing. Uh, Kaneda and Kaori both get sucked in. And uh, Kaori goes pop. Uh, Kaneda watches as her... I, I had to close my eyes watching this scene because it already fucked me up as a kid watching it. Uh, yeah, what a... Yeah, bad fate for her. She... <laughs> she's yeah she just gets pressed to death by like his like mass mass yeah like it's like there's a death in the saw films that like seems like it was basically inspired by this uh, moment where one of the a character named special agent strom uh is crushed to death and it's like has a very similar there's like a similar element to it um yeah, where someone else is watching the as like he gets crushed to death and um was a guy named uh, a villain named Hoffman in the, those movies. Okay, but um, don't worry, I've seen almost all the Saw movies. I, I'm so. not going to they're because they're disgusting. And I can't. No, I yeah, I went through a, a phase when I was a teenager where I was like, I'm watching 
the Saw movies, I feel so horrible. I made my grandmother take me to like take number three or four because yeah. oh. I was I was obsessed. I was like, I'm going to see these. Uh, I just, you know, now I, I make sure every year that I get my grandmother an extra special gift as an apology for making her do this. Uh, but she was the only one who would do it. And I actually can't believe she did it. Like I, it's uh, so thank you, uh, Grammy, if you're listening. Uh, for taking me to the Saw movies when I was a kid. <laughs> but um, yeah, going back to it, it is, yeah, it's like, just like an ending to a really sad arc. Because initially, I didn't even believe she was dead, but then you're like, but she is dead, because like, you do see oh. her like basically like and, and pop on, like a balloon. And on top of that, Tetsu is making noises where he's like, oh, are you okay? I don't want to hurt you and stuff. And he also like is feeling her pain because now he's just this like psychic creature and just everything is, uh, everything is coming at him at once. And that yeah, I mean, it's because it's touching her. You can you know have to feel the pain and like. Well, he's also um, psychic too, so he's probably like hearing her thoughts and like again feeling all that. Yeah, because it's very clear that she like has again a fondness for uh, Tatsuo, like because obviously she wouldn't have followed him if they weren't, you know, if she didn't love, you know, love them on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think and she again, loves them, even though I think she has terrible judgment, but I think she loves him. And I think Tetsuo only, only after he, or while he's killing her, does he have any shred of empathy for her? Yeah. That's when he's like, Oh man, I guess I was an incel this whole time. Pretty <laughs> As much. You joked uh, earlier. Um, but yeah. And this, this kind of brings us to our conclusion. Uh, the, the Esper's, they're, they try to awaken Akira to stop all this stuff because, yeah, Tetsuo is turning into this giant, disgusting fetus creature. And also, as the doctor, the doctor is still involved in the story, too. And he's like, oh, my God, it looks like the amount of energy readings, it looks like this is going to create a new universe. Uh, that's something I didn't pick up on initially when I first watched it because I was, I was younger. Uh, but that stuff is pretty, pretty spelled out in this, in this last bit, that all this power is going to create an entirely new dimension. Yeah, like essentially, like in in some ways, yeah, this is a big bang for a new universe. Yeah, because like that, and it because like that is one of those questions where like obviously it's almost it's so overwhelming to think about, which is the idea of like how does our universe start? Because like the idea of nothing is just almost incomprehensible to think about. Like, no, you can't don't like make me think about it. <laughs> you know that that might be more horrifying than her death and. Uh, uh, uh but it's yeah but i like that this like element of like oh his powers will you know obviously create new life and hopefully create something positive yeah out of and so it turned out to be a horrifying experience and so the aspers they rescue everyone except uh Kaneda is still trying to get to his friend and that's the thing like the, the Kaneda and tetsuo relationship is like kind of touching even as tetsuo just becomes the worst uh, Kaneda still really wants to save his friend and he, he gets, uh, he becomes part of the singularity and he actually experiences like Tetsu on the Esper's childhood. He sees all these memories. And I thought those scenes were actually really touching. Yeah. Well, that's the thing where I'm like, I wish they were just made as brothers. Like, I think that's like the one, one of the big things I would have changed is I think if they were brothers instead of these friends, um, I think that I think it would have I may have just worked a little better on an emotional level I'm not 100% sure about that but that was like the one thing I almost wish that uh, that was the case 
but uh, I mean, it still worked. Like, cause we do get these flashbacks of like the childhood and like, um, I mean, it's a little earlier in the movie, but like uh, basically how Tetsuo and uh, Kanata met was yeah. like, they were at school. Tetsuo was getting bullied and uh, you know, Kanata comes in and like, isn't, uh, does he uh, protect uh, Tetsuo? I don't know if he yeah, does. Oh yeah, he like fights, and then he goes like, "Oh, this is also my first day," and then that's where like their friendship begins. Yeah, and also we did you even notice that you saw like versions of the espers where they weren't like shriveled up? I did notice that. I was like, yeah, "Oh, those are true. yeah," because like obviously there are these on these drugs that if they're not you know if they're not taking it, then they're you know going to probably turn into what Tetsuo was turned into. For sure. And uh, yeah, the, the Espers, they do end up saving Canada at the cost of their own life. And they become a part of whatever, whatever this new universe is. Oh, and then on top of it, just, just to give us one last death, uh, the evil doctor is crushed. Uh, he gets to see the birth of a new universe. He, he gets that satisfaction. And then the movie kills him because he sucks. Yeah, I mean, I like that because, like, I mean, he is manipulating these events because, like, when we, we see him in, like, he has this, like, laboratory on wheels is how I would describe it. Um, and, like, you see that he's kind of, like, he's got these computer, like, this is where the, the 80s really shows us that there's, like, this computer-generated image of, like, these flickering kind of lights and that he's watching that I assume was Akira. That it's, like, a conscious, like, it's Akira's consciousness yeah. visually depicted. Um and in some ways, it's like almost like a looks almost like it could be a universe in itself. Um, but he's kind of manipulating. He's like, oh, like it's, and it becomes more intense as like the events of the movie take place. Because initially, it's just like almost a flickering, and then by the end, it's like this whole thing. So yeah, to watch him die, it was sort of like, yeah, I there's no love lost. It's not like, oh no, not him. Uh, he's dead. So yeah, one of the biggest differences is that there's like an entire subplot featuring the U.S. military. <laughs> yeah, like the the, mil the U.S. military basically gets involved and they're there to to carpet bomb Neo Tokyo and destroy the city. And they also have like their own laser satellite, which uh, yeah, the satellite in the film, which is in the film is like Japanese or at least implied to be Japanese. Uh, that's that's the Americans, and yeah, they they get involved and uh, in typical fashion, the Americans suck. And uh, they get fucked up pretty hard in in the manga. But the other thing too. Oh yeah. But the other thing too is that um, Kay has a mentor named Lady Miyako, who's like completely cut out of the film. And that character is basically the one who helps uh, develop Kay's uh, medium powers. And yeah, Kay, Kay has a much bigger role in, in the manga. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling that Kay, because like, because she is part of this resistance, and like the resistance plays a little part, and they get this great uh, sequence in the the storm drain where like they, you know, there's like a, a I guess a gliding bike that fires upon them, and then uh, Kanata steals the bike, and him and Kay, uh, you know, kind of fly around in like these like, you know, the guts of the facility where uh, Tetsuo and the Espers are being held. Um, but outside of that, yeah, she's not, she doesn't play a significant role uh, in a way that I could see that like in the manga that it's a bigger and more spelled out. And the other thing too, is that actually because Akira appears in the film, in the manga, I mean, there actually is a second Akira explosion that gets triggered when he's uh, shot and killed by Nezu. Uh, ne Nezu has quite a big role. We didn't even talk about Nezu's fate. He just kind of dies. He, you know, 
Um, Nezu's not, again, not a super important character in the film, but yeah, Nezu kills Akira, which triggers a second explosion, which uh, Kaneda actually is part of, and Kaneda does, doesn't get freed until the very end of the manga. He's, so he's actually gone for a big portion of it. Oh, I didn't yeah, even realize. Yeah, he's gone for effectively an entire act. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, so a lot, lot of interesting changes. Like I said, like I think, I think, dear listeners, it's definitely worth reading if you like this film. Like again, like try, try checking out the manga because it, it's like this, but just a meteor meal, effectively. The the world building and just the depth of the story is just in a in a way that two hours really couldn't contain. Yeah, again, like it seems like there was a like the one advantage of coming being adapted from that manga is that you can tell like, just from this film that there's a much bigger world around it, like around this story, that there is a lot more going on. But obviously it's got the constraints of a film. Um, and I think like, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but like, I think the probably the most interesting, like if they were to do a live action adaption, is like not to go the film route, I think making it a, like a mini series or like a two season arc Mm-hmm. It's like we're doing 16 episodes. We're in and out, almost like you know, a, like a Damon Lindelof doing Watchmen kind of thing with this world would be really fascinating. Like even if you don't like deal with what, like you could, in theory, even make like you know something that's parallel to this the events that goes on here. Sort of what again Damon Lindelof did in Watchmen. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, you should watch the HBO Watchmen show because it's. Sure. Uh, brilliant piece of television um and yeah it is it's hard because again it's a a classic i can see why this is a classic i can see why people still talk about it even to this day you know 30 plus years later um it's 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 interesting all right so so as always let's get to the fun part uh who is the robert e o speedwagon of this movie Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. Um, uh, do you have a choice? I, I want to uh, hear yours. I have a choice. Um, I really like Kai. Um, he's, he's a small character. I like Kai. I like that he's like the normal person in this movie. He he's the guy who you're most likely to be if you're in this. And on top of that, he survives it. Uh, he's he's you know he he's he's a good friend. He's he's uh he's kind of his friend. You know he's got a friend who dies. Again, like Kai, Kai the fact that Kai gets to live in this movie as opposed to everyone else is like kind of hopeful. Yeah, I mean it, it is almost he has the most unlikely survival arc. Yeah. Where you're like, he could have easily been dispatched a lot a while ago. Um, I mean, for me, it's you know, it was. I mean, I had a couple of contenders. You know, I think uh, the bartender. I was like, oh, maybe the bartender, um, just because you know, again, early on, he's kind of seen as a more affable guy, but he's obviously killed pretty quickly once Tetsuo gets out. Um, I was thinking about the guy who pulls the grenade. In, uh, oh, yeah, he was a contender for sure. Uh, in that, just because it's like this weird comedic scene uh, that happens in um, 
in the middle of this film. Like, it's just like, what? It's like, and then it actually like happens. Like he actually kills, he actually kills the people in that building. Uh, but for me, uh, my, um, I think, sorry, I'm just, oh, uh, you're taking it seriously. Yeah. It's this one's, uh, I'm trying to make sure I, I get the, his name, right. Um, so I, I'm building up the anticipation. Um, and the, uh, my actual uh, Ario Speedwagon of this film is uh, number 26, who, if you don't know who number 26 is, he's the little boy who is with the resistance at the top of the movie. Uh, he's the one who kind of like sets off the chain of events when uh, uh, Tetsuo crashes into him. Uh, I really liked him. Uh, I mean, he is an esper. He kind of has a, a, a bigger part, but it's like his part kind of diminishes as it goes along. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, for whatever reason, like he's also the teddy bear. Uh, that's his like kind of avatar in those sequences. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I kind of found that endearing. There's like, even though it was so horrifying, like I feel like I, you know, I feel a lot of empathy for him. And I would have liked to have seen more of him, especially more of him as like, in his non-shriveled state. I know they show him a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think for me, it's uh, number 26. So, so, so I do want to say what the ending is to the manga. <laughs> Spoil, spoiler alert for those who, who want to go with the manga unspoiled, because I think it is worth talking about. And it's definitely a more hopeful ending, I would argue. Um, for one thing, it's a lot more clear that more people in Neo Tokyo survived. <laughs> um, Kaneda actually leads an all out assault against uh, Tetsuo. And on top of that, the UN confronts them all. It like sends forces to help everyone who survived, but Kaneda and his crew declare the city's sovereignty as the great Tokyo empire. And they warn them that Akira still lives in their hearts. And Kaneda and Kay meet up with the Colonel and they part ways as friends. And then on top of that, they see ghostly visions of Tetsuo and Yamagata to kind of wave them off. So, you know, a bit more redemptive as opposed to, you know, their survival of four people. Yeah. No, it's, like, at least there, there's, you know, yeah, almost hope for the future. Where this one is, like, I mean, there's hope. There's not, it's a weird kind of hope, because this one obviously just ends in, with a new universe being created. Um, all right. A multiverse. Well, multiverse, yeah. Uh, Maybe, maybe we'll get Akira too. Maybe, oh God. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I know we like Damon Lindelof's uh, Watchmen, but I, I don't think you need random sequels to everything. Um, so yeah. I mean, if, if there's any property that, would, that could make it work, it's probably this one. I, I don't want to see an Akira too because I don't want to see those people go through anything else. They've, Fair enough. They've, they've earned their respite. Uh, but I definitely would love if Netflix were to invest in a super expensive adaptation of the manga. Uh, to do for an anime um but anyways final thoughts on akira um i i enjoyed it i mean it's not what i was expecting at all uh i can see why this is a classic um it's uh was so far ahead of its time in terms of like how uh its animation style and just like what they did with like 2d um and i can see how influential this is so you can't there's nothing really bad to say about it um, is it as good as, uh, when the wind rises or is that, yeah, 
I, I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't they're, made up my mind. Different. They're very different. I think if you're they're very, those, those are incredibly different, but I mean, this, it's the only other film we've seen on this podcast that I've seen on this podcast. Um, there are two anime films, <laughs> you know, they're, but they're both, you know, classics in their own way. Um, and I, you know, I've got to give it, uh, I've got to give it some credit that this is you know, pretty spectacular. So great job to catch Shiro Otomo. Otomo, yeah. Otomo for his work. And uh, he's he's kind of like a one-hit wonder who chose to be a one-hit wonder. Yeah, and I've heard Steam Boy is very good too. So he's, he's, he's got a very good track record. A small track record, but I guess if you have a small one, then, uh, you know, if you don't make anything else, you can't make anything bad. That's true. Uh, and who knows, maybe we will uh, see Steam Boy one of these days on this podcast. Exactly. Um, so, as always, we have to announce the next show. And the next show is going to be Pokemon Journeys, which, quick, quick little thing, is the most recent Pokemon series. We're going to watch episodes 2, 6, 12, and 26, because it's Pokemon and there's over a thousand episodes. So, so screw it. We'll break. <laughs> We've broken the three-episode rule like a third of the time officially. Maybe I, was gonna, I was just going to say, maybe it's not even a three-episode rule anymore. <laughs> I think it's just if you can distill it into as many as reasonable. Some series like One Piece, you get a lot because it's long as hell. Sometimes we fuck up like with JoJo. But in this case, Pokemon, I mean, listen, it's Pokemon, man. I, I don't, and they're, they're going to be easy ones to watch. Uh, so yeah, we, we watched a very gory, gory show with a lot of horrifying images. And now we get to watch a fun show for six-year-olds. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see you then. So as always, you can find us on Is This Anime Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Maybe we'll get Facebook. I haven't created one yet. No, uh, I don't know. I mean, and you can listen to us where uh, you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you uh, listen, uh, like and review if you get the chance. And uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, tell some of your friends. Thank, Thank you. you. And if you thought we, we fucked this conversation up, please tell us. We are, we're totally open to criticism. Or, or be like, hey, why'd you cover Akira and not Steam Boy? You, you disrespected Otomo. Um, so yeah. I'd love to see the one person who says that. I'd love to be like, no, this, this should be the Otomo movie you covered. Uh, and if I wanted to be a hipster, I would have done that. But Akira was playing in theater, so I just really wanted to see it. Um, so yeah, I'm Jack Metcalf. You are? I'm Malcolm Cloud. All right, take it easy, folks. Mm-hmm.